the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is EdTech, episode number four, recorded Monday, April 16th, 2012. Frickin' laser beams. It is time once again for EdTech, the education-based uh, show from the uh, guys that give you AV Nation. My name is Tim Albright, your host. With us, as always, is Matthew Silverman. He is the Project Manager, Learning Space Design for George Mason University. Good afternoon, sir. Good afternoon, Tim. Uh, also with us is Greg Brown. He is the Media Systems Engineer for Classroom Technology Design and Maintenance at UCLA. Hey, you got it right. Thank you very much, Tim. Yeah, like I said, I wish I got paid by the word. I wish you hey, did. Hey, Tim. Too. Hi, Matt. <laughs> Good Lord. Hey, Greg. Yeah, that's a long title. Uh, this month, we're going to talk about um, schools going all iPad, because that sounds like a really cool idea. Uh, OEM speakers, the most popular resolution of all time, or at least the one, <laughs> the most popular resolution currently uh, as of last month. And uh, red laser projectors, because I like lasers. So, uh, But first, uh, Epson came out with something last week that kind of piqued my interest and said, hey, this is kind of cool. Um, like you guys, I, I do a lot of stuff with, with projectors, and you know that's kind of what's in our classroom. They released a $599 uh, list price projector. Now, that's nothing new because they've had those for a while. But this one's at 3,000 lumens. And, uh, you know, guys, it's, it's 1024 by 768. Um, Matt, is this, is this kind of a, a game changer when it comes to projectors? And, you know, they're getting to the point where they're the cost of flat panels now. Um, is this a game changer from Epson for guys like us? Or is this just, you know what? As time goes on, they're going to get less and less expensive, and the lumens are going to keep going up and up. Um, I think this one is so close. Uh, if you look at what it gives you, it actually has an HDMI port on it, uh, VGA. Uh, it has control, which Epson generally hasn't done on their lower-end projectors. So it's really cool. Price point, it's almost the cost of what a lamp used to be. So, <laughs> you know. It's getting to like uh, inkjet printers. You run out of ink, you, the, the lamp goes, buy another one. Yeah. The only thing which I think they missed on this one is the resolution. And how do you put an HDMI port on there and keep it for three is what I'd like to know. <laughs> well, yeah. And and if, if if this had been, I mean, even if they had lost 500 lumens and put the bigger, uh, put the uh, 1610 or or 169 uh, aspect ratio on it, I think this would have been like killer killer, you know. Right. But if you're if you're K12 right now, you know you gotta you, you gotta be happy as anything. And I'm not even sure this may be their list price. I wonder what their uh, better futures is, uh, brighter futures is, because it'd probably even be a little bit lower than that. So it's definitely a great projector at that price point. You know, it's almost something, you know, hey, everyone gets one at home as well. <laughs> Buy one, get one free type. 
almost. Uh, Greg, it, it, Mike makes a good point. The fact that it's it's you know it's not widescreen. Uh, it will do it, I'm sure, because it's, it's got the HDMI. But you know, it's um, it, is it is it is it going to be uh, you know is it really great or is it missing that one thing? I I think I'm going to launch my my campaign again for a line of uh, AV industry uh, public service announcements along the lines of uh, friends don't let friends install XGA projectors. Oh. <laughs> um, you, you know why? I, I I would I really would like to know who who is still installing XGA projectors and why. I mean, if one of our what what are we up to now? Seven listeners. Um, you know, p- please let us know. You know, I, I would love to know who and and why are you would would still be doing this at this point. I mean, there there's got to be some extenuating circumstances going on there to to still be doing that in in some sort of you know vaguely responsible fashion. I mean, it's it's 2012, folks. I mean, the <laughs> yeah. the 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 analog sun sun has largely set and. You know, this is coming from somebody who has far more VCRs and slide projectors that he really would care to admit to in public, you know. So I I don't understand what their what their fixation is, but I guess people are still buying them if they're still selling them. You know, they probably have I'm sure they have all of their costs amortized at this point. The the two things that sort of I did wonder a bit about it are you know, it's it's three thousand lumens in its, um, or it's yeah, three thousand lumens in its um, four thousand hour normal mode. Didn't say what its brightness was in its five thousand hour eco mode. Um, I've seen a couple projectors like that. I've got a couple projectors like that, and the eco mode can be a lot less light in some circumstances, or in that circumstance. And the the other thing that I just noticed Epson started doing here is they've they've moved away from ANSI lumens. Just as we got everybody in the video projector world using ANSI lumens, they've now switched over to this ISO 21118, which they call a more rigid standard than the outdated ANSI lumens rating used by competitive products. Well, the only problem is they're the only ones using it. Well, yeah. Actually, I, I, can, I can answer that question. Please, please, um, enlighten me. The ANSI Lumen uh, standard, I believe, has expired. So it's no longer a current uh, ANSI standard. And ISO being an international standard is a worldwide consensus. So it's, it's at a higher level. Are the uh, numbers equal? I can't. I, I don't know from a technical level. I, 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 that's not a yes, no, or otherwise. I just don't know. But I, I'm pretty sure from what I understand, because uh, I was talking with another projector manufacturer about the ANSI measurement standard, that I believe has expired and was not renewed as an ANSI standard. So what I will say, the fact that they are actually using a standard of measurement, they should be applauded for. Because um, a lot of people actually I'd say, not necessarily on projectors, but more on, uh, on the, uh, some of the display manufacturers, you know, they create their own metric to figure out how what their contrast ratio is or things like that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, I think we've all bought plenty of projectors where uh, the, the, clearly the ANSI lumens at the factory and the ANSI lumens in our shops are, you know, using a different standard. 
But by, by, by about a factor of a half. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you've noticed that too. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's it's a it's a nice projector. It's cheap. I yeah have an issue with the resolution, but it has yeah some nice features and nice keystone job. The the re- I, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more clear information there on the brightness. I I you know googled it for an hour or so last night, and I really was not finding a lot of conclusive information that told me about the differences. Well, let me ask you guys that about the actual ANSI Lumen thing, or lumens in general. Um, I saw a demo for a an LED projector. It was a Pico projector, granted, um, made by Visex. But they're touting a 300 lumens projector. And... To me, it looked it looked brighter than three hundred lumens. To me, it looked about a, about a thousand lumens. Um, is that is the whole lumens thing? Do we need to do something different? Is ISO the the that that standard? Is that where we should be going? Um, I, I I think we need a better education, and I'm, I'm from the industry and. You know, I, I haven't looked in this for a while. I mean, I what we've used is we've actually shot projectors off head to head in our real world lab, i.e., a classroom. So at the end of the day, we've made a lot of our decisions where we have A next to B and in a comparable environment, and we'll just say, you know, B looks better. Yeah. Uh, but I, it's my understanding that this ISO standard is actually meant to be a way of comparing. Uh, lumens on data sheets. Now, the question is, I don't know enough about it. I don't know if it's even a valid methodology of ma- you know measuring light output compared to the old ANSI standard. Um, but it was one of these transitions, which I think I only heard about because one of my projector reps said, hey, by the way, we're using this now and they're not, you know, sort of to, I think, that caveat, Greg, you noticed on the, uh, on, on the sales sheet. Yeah, and if you're going to charge off and do something different like this, you know, put something on your website that explains it a little bit maybe, you know. And and any, anybody out there, if you're buying projectors, heck, get get yourself a light meter. They're cheap. You know, learn how to, how to do a mm-hmm. – well, I, the ANSI lumens is a pretty easy measurement to do. I don't know about – I assume this other one's probably not too terribly different. But, you know, learn how to take a measurement. Go out there and measure your projectors, Um, you know. Not on a you know dark, depressing day when you're not looking for additional bad news, but um, you know it's it's pretty and well enlightening. No pun intended. Oh, very nice. Um, <laughs> uh, or 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 not actually, as the case may be, to to discover how much light your or how much less light than the spec sheets your your projectors are typically putting out. You know what's what's the saying? Uh, Figures don't lie, but liars sure can write spec sheets. <laughs> yes, yes, they can. Well, and and that actually leads us into our, our next story. And it, from from one end to the other end, and uh, the if you don't know what red is and what what the whole red phenomenon for for shooting video is, it's it's four K. It's uh, it, it's the ability to to shoot with this great looking camera. Well, now they're coming out with the red ray projector, and it's laser. Because I love freaking lasers. They have laser beams, you know, the whole, you know, uh, um, uh, Austin Powers thing. They have freaking laser beams on their heads. And they're, they're, they're actually doing a, a, a demonstration at NAB this, this week. It's, 
it's they, they're they're telling some of the three D things, and I, I couldn't care less about three D to be frank about it. Um, but it's twenty five thousand hours on, on on the laser. It's under ten grand, so it's not like you know uh, a two hundred fifty thousand dollar Barco. But are we ready for laser? Are we ready for LED? Are we still happy with with our bulbs, our lamps? Greg, you still happy? Are you ready to go laser or even LED? Well, I, when I first saw this, I, I was initially worried that we were going to talk about either the 3D or the 4K aspect of this, and in which case I was just going to sort of, I guess, let you wake me when you were done with your conversation. Um, I, I'm, I remain unconvinced. I mean, I think they are new and exciting technologies that we are moving towards, but... Uh, you know, the lamps are kind of working out for us right now. You know, with a lot of these newer projectors, they're, what, 4,000 hours a lot of times, uh, replacement cycle. So you're going to replace the lamp, what, once well, I don't, on a I don't typical projector? You. I don't want to interrupt you, but, but some of the Mitsubishis are 5,000 hours. Yeah, yeah. I, w- I was being a little conservative there, 4,000 or 5,000 hours. So, I mean seriously, I mean, how many of us are putting more than than 10,000 hours on a video projector over the course of its lifetime? You know, I'm I'm seeing numbers two-thirds of that at best, you know, after five, six, seven years. So um, a neat technology, sure, certainly something that I'd like to check out, but, um, you know, I'm I'm not waiting in any sort of line to buy it yet. Matt, are you ready to install lasers? Not today, but I, 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 I love red as a disruptive technology. And um, it, it, they, when they first came out with some of their camera products, I, I haven't bought any. I'm not sure if the university has bought any, but it, it's always amazed me how they think outside the box. And it kind of jives with something I heard um, a couple of years uh, back from a projector manufacturer that lasers were going to be the next big thing. Now, I kind of figured that was kind of like saying, you know, if you're going to invest in something, invest in plastics. But <laughs> wow, it, it 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 was. It's definitely one of the potential technologies for the next step in projectors, and it's always cool to see someone go out on a limb and make it work. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm with Greg. I think we can skip this month's mandatory 3D bash. Um, but yeah, and I didn't want to bash 3D. <laughs> I just wanted to talk about the the technology of the of the thing. Yeah, I couldn't class about it. But go ahead. <laughs> but uh, no, I I, I think. Uh, I, I think it's interesting. My bet, like every other red product, this will ship in about five years since <laughs> they, they seem worse than any other. You know, they, they're kind of the we ship it when it's done, which may be, you know, years down the road. But it's cool. It's disruptive. I think it'll start some of the higher end projector folks who have had R&D into this talking about it possibly at Infocom. Because they're just going to have to respond to it. And, and th- that's what I think is really neat about this announcement. Sorry, Tim. You are the only laser fanboy on the panel today. I like freaking laser beams. Oh, I just I, like saying I, I, I like lasers. Laser. I do. I, I, I like them. It's just in a couple of years. Yeah. I'm, I'm wondering if I mentioned to, any, to some of the people around here that our projectors have lasers in them, whether – like somebody's going to worry about like safety goggles oh, or you know 
things catching on fire or something like that. There will be a meeting required, Greg. <laughs> Several yeah, of there's them. Always a, there's always a meeting required. Yeah. All right. Well, let's since we mentioned the fact that NAB is this week, let's talk about NAB, shall we? Um, I am not a tinfoil hat conspiracy theorist. Let me start there. I do like a good, a good conspiracy, and I do like a, a good mystery, and I think I have one. Um, <laughs> this, uh, yeah, I'm just going to say that this doesn't, something doesn't add up here. A couple weeks ago, um, Extron, the wonderful manufacturer of switchers and other products, uh, announced that they will not be going to Infocom or ISC for the next for the foreseeable future because they're going to focus on you know training at their training centers and their local places and i think that's great and and i think that's awesome and i don't know that specifically they spelled out the fact that they weren't going to any trade shows but they're not going to the industry standard of the industry in which they're in so imagine my surprise when i saw that extron will be going to nab this week, a couple weeks after they pulled out of Infocom, um, I'm just going to ask this, and you guys can tell me I'm crazy. Spit it out. Greg, do you think something weird's going on here, like they got their <laughs> fingers hurt, or they got their feelings hurt, or somebody got ticked off somewhere? Or is this, you know what, Extron's going after another industry? I mean, what what the heck is going on? Um, as far as NAB, I think uh, that that doesn't really surprise me. I mean, they're a that's a it's a much bigger show than either Infocom or um, um, the one in Europe that uh, the name is just escaping. ISE, right? right? Thank in- you. Integrated Systems Europe. Exactly, ISE. <laughs> um, NAB is is huge. It's it's many times the size of either of those shows, and it's a that market is a is a huge market. It's much bigger than our little um, AV corner of the world, and so I think it's a it's an area where they can't come in and say, "Hey, this is how we're going to market to you, and you're going to like it," which is sort of how I feel they're they're treating the AV world. You know, they've decided they can do things better and so they are. But I don't think that would play to what customers they have out there in the in the NAB world. All right, Matt. Are and you- I'm in, I'm avoiding the conspiracy theory. All right, no, that's fine. That's <laughs> fine. Um Matt on the NAB show website, it says that Extron uh is going to be displaying uh, display systems, distribution and delivery over fiber and streaming and webcasting, and management systems, signal management and processing. Okay, that makes sense for, for NAB, which stands for National Association of Broadcasters. But that doesn't that also make sense for Infocom? It does. Um, you know, I, I agree with you on their announcement. I mean, it. they, they I don't think they explicitly said they were pulling out of national shows or international shows. I think they said we are not attending these two shows specifically. Um, I know talking to, you know, the, our broadcast engineer here, he's a big fan of Extron products and won't actually let me talk him out of them when I'm looking at comparable products from other AV vendors. Uh, So I think they have a large following of being kind of that, 
a glue product to some of the uh, to the broadcast folks if who need to bring in you know computing or things into their environment. Um, you know, also they've gone big time into their encoding solutions, which are you know becoming quite big in uh, campus solutions, not just higher education but corporate campuses for distributing content. So. I definitely think there's a market for them. Um, I my I guess they're not a major player. I mean, you know, at Infocom they were you know a top five player. They were at the a show. platinum sponsor. Yes. Right. Um, right. Here, biggest biggest booth. Yeah. Yeah. Here, my guess is they're just another large manufacturer in a booth, and maybe that's the profile they're looking for right now. I don't know. I, I mean, from some of our conversation over the past couple of shows. They just seem to be in a really confused place right now. Yeah. I mean, I'm confused as a, as a customer. Yes. So um, that's about the best I can say. They're confused. Well, let's let's hope them. Let's hope that they uh, they find themselves shortly. <laughs> so, um, Matt said something this week um, that I thought was interesting, and it's the idea of a unique or let's say out of the box. Um, Furniture, <laughs> and that's the best way I've got to put it. And, and that sounds kind of silly, you know, talking about AV and stuff. But it, it's non-traditional workspaces. It's you know, there, there's one that we're, we're going to put a couple different links up. One is from from Computer Comforts. It's called the Collaborative Table, and I, I love this line. It says, "Is it a conference table? Is it a computer workstation?" Um, it actually, from the from the picture, it also technically could probably be. A, a video conferencing table uh, because there's a there's a large screen at the at the end and you could just slap a, a camera on top of that. But Matt, you said this is something this non traditional space is is something that you guys have been talking about at George Mason. How did that start? And where should people that are that are going down this road where should they start their conversation? Maybe. Um, actually, I'll, I'll hit on the other company you didn't mention. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. yeah uh, which is Steelcase and Mediascape. Mm-hmm. Because they're actually more of a um, furniture manufacturer than they are anyone who's really traditionally been associated with the AV industry. Um, they came out with this fantastic product, and the Collaborative Table Computer Conference is kind of a derivative product, if you will, okay. uh, called Mediascape. And it's been on the market, I think, somewhere between 18 months and two years. And it's just phenomenal. It's basically the idea is you have somewhere between four and eight student stations or user stations at a table. Each station has a hookup for a computer, and you have one, two, or more monitors, depending on your setup, where you can basically hook up, hit a button, and you're displaying on the monitor. And because you have multiple uh, connections, multiple users can alternate off who's sharing what when. And we saw this at a show somewhere and had been talking about it a little bit. It was kind of funny. uh, Our learning uh, support services group, which is kind of our instructional design that's not part of my group, but we work very closely with them, approached us about three months ago, said, we're really interested. And we said, that's funny. We've actually been talking about this as well. And we ended up talking with Steelcase, and uh, we got a loaner table for them, and it was the most amazing thing. As we were setting it up, before they were actually done, they had forgot a part and had to go back for the tr- uh, to the truck. Students had already jumped on the table and were trying to use it before it was done being set up. Wow. 
And it just created an environment which really fostered collaboration and kind of got us thinking both outside and inside the classroom and this idea of informal learning spaces. And so we started talking to a couple of our peers throughout the state, and we found out a lot of people had adopted these in uh, learning commons and library spaces. And it just became a great way to let students basically plug in a computer and share content really quickly. And we're kind of at the point right now where we're trying to take the next step and turn it into an enterprise-level product. Because potentially, I could see us deploying 50 or 100 of these over our campuses over the next couple of years. It's just gotten that great of feedback. And we're even looking, in some degree, how could we do this inside a classroom where you'd have a pod of students collaborating and then have the teacher have the ability to grab whatever they're working on and send it up to the big screen. Wow. Yeah. See, that, that stuff, stuff like that is, we talked about being disruptive with, with the first story, the, the $600 projector. To me, that's more disruptive in a very good way. And I think it speaks more to how the current student and the students coming up after them, how they learn and how they interact. You talked about how your students just instinctively jumped on there and started using them. Yeah, it, really cool. it was phenomenal. We, we did not expect it at all. So we've been talking with everyone about this. Um, Extron's actually making the guts uh, for the computer conference solution. Uh, Altenex is making the guts for the Mediascape solution. And the only challenge we found so far is that it's completely an analog solution, okay. which is yeah. kind of backwards in where we are today. But right. we're we're beating on people to uh, think outside the box on that one. Yeah, yeah. We just we just had a big uh, renovation up here. In fact, if you if you go online and you Google Young Research Library renovation, uh, you can see all of the information on it. And it was a big uh, renovation of uh, one of the libraries here on campus. It uses, uh, uh, I believe, steel case equipment for most of them. They're these these weird multicolored pod things and um, yeah do, doing the same sort of thing you, you sit around and plug in and it's uh, uses the extron guts uh, the the neat thing about the extron guts it's actually one of the more novel things I've I've seen them come up with recently is um, your, your VGA connector has a button on it you press the button on your connector to send your computer up to the monitor. It's actually pretty slick, but it's very basic. These are all just strictly VGA, which again, you know, I'm I'm not sure that was a lot of forethought went into that. But uh we have a mixture of these steel case pods, but also these tables here that you're showing in the uh the like the computer comforts. They're I believe they're steel case equipment, but it's the same sort of idea. Yeah. No, that is really cool. So all right, you are listening to EdTech with Mr. Greg Brown from UCLA and Matthew Silverman from George Mason University. My name is Tim. How are you? Uh, this comes to us from the gentleman over at Stat Counter. Um, for the past couple of years, 1024 by 768 has been the number one, I say number one resolution of all time until last month when it wasn't anymore. Um, usually web, web stat stats are kind of boring 
and I, I've never really, you know, paid much attention to them. And uh, actually, Matt sent this one along, and I'm like, holy cow, seriously? What these guys have done is they, they've taken a look at the resolution of web designers. Like, in other words, so you're looking at a website, whether that's, you know, I don't know, Gawker Media or CNN.com, which, you know, whatever your preference is. And for the past couple of years, it has been 1024, 768. And according to their research, um, as of last month, 1024, 768 no longer is number one. Actually, between March of 09 and uh, March of, of 2012, 1024, 768 fell from 41.8% uh, of the web sites out there to 18.6%. Now, what took its place? 1366 by 768. In 2009, it was 0.68% of the websites. Not even a full percent. And last month, it was 19 point, let's say 19.3%, actually 19.28. Uh, so, Greg, have we, how, are we, we going to have to retool all of our classrooms for this wider screen um, resolution um, or we at least rethink you know some of our our future installs oh you know we we haven't gotten edid figured out on the others anyway so they, they don't work so you know we may as well just stick with all the low resolutions for now anyway it's much simpler 800 by 600 um, <laughs> <laughs> um I don't know. I think that's interesting. Um, although, if you look at the chart there, you know there, there's the the line for other, which is actually looks like it's in second place at the very end, uh, at or at the very most recent date there. So, I'm I'm kind of wondering what what makes up other and what that's going to look like. Oh, yeah. But um, I, I don't know. I don't put too much into this yet i think it's just going to be a slow migration up um you know it's probably something to toss in the face of the of the 4k fanboys out there that we're starting <laughs> to hear from matt are we gonna have to rework everything or is this like like rick said it just kind of ebbs and flows and we're it's just a slow migration well i think if anyone needed a sign that xga was dead this should be it. <laughs> it's not dead it's in second place yeah, it's okay. It's merely a flesh wound. <laughs> oh, very <Yeah>. nice. <laughs> um, and uh, my unfortunate thing is, I think I bet on the wrong horse of twelve eighty by eight hundred, which peaked and then uh, dipped, but it's still going strong. Eighty by eight hundred. Yeah, that's what all my projectors are. It's that's down to thirteen percent of the market. Um, it, it was a nice resolution because you could do 16 to 9 at 720p as well as 1280 by 800 at 16 to 10. Um, by 800? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> you just blew Greg's mind. You, you did. You, you did. Um, um, yeah, I, I'm kind of disappointed that a 16 to 9 resolution won because that's the video guys winning out over the computing guys. But doesn't that always <laughs> Doesn't that always happen? I mean, I don't mean to be sour grapes, but that always happens. 
Yeah, I'm I'm not too upset with with uh, our decision to go with 16 by 10 yet because you know, usually in the classrooms we're we're we, what what dimension do we tend to violate with the screens first? It's how low they hang. And so uh I'm I'm okay with the screens being a little lower than they than maybe they could be in the 16 by 10 a little bit more bore uh a little bit easier on the 4 by 3 and you can do 16 by 9 just as fine. Yeah. So well, most of our screens and projectors everything of late has been has been 16 by 10. I don't know whether I should tell you what resolution. Oh, what go do you ahead. Up at 1912. <laughs> Um, for for all the the midsize and and big rooms, everything I've put in recently has been uh, nineteen twenty by twelve hundred. Yeah, it's a budget issue with us. I, I'd like to be there as well. You know what? I, I'm with Matt. My, I'm still putting in ten twenty four seven sixty eight because mine's a budget issue. So, oh, here here's your sign, Tim. I I have some eight year old video projectors too, <laughs> but wow. they're twelve eighty by ten twenty four, or twelve eighty by. What was the um, yeah twelve eighty by what was, there was some version of it wasn't 1024. oh uh, by by ten twenty four yeah that that's a, that's S X V G A S X G A plus oh okay that's a wide yeah yeah, yeah. no it was it was this was still four by three but it was just the size that the chip came in back then. Mm. Yeah, see, Matt Matt is the smartest guy I know when it comes to resolutions. So. As long as I can afford it, I generally follow him. But yeah, some 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 years it's not it's not so pretty. So, well, I I think we'll be seeing some new stuff. This Infocom very affordable in the twelve eighty uh, eight hundred or even in this Bizarro thirteen sixty six by seven sixty eight space. Um, I mean, I, I think you'll actually see, if not a sub one thousand dollar projector. Uh, you know, $1,100 education cost projector by the show this summer. Yeah, that's probably true, too. Because it's, I mean, the the every year the, the prices go down and, and resolution goes up. So, all Absolutely. right. Um, this is, is from our buddies, buddies over at Rave Publications. And I, I actually was turned on to this by Gary Kay. Um, Chief came out with, well, they, they came out with a, a piece of software a couple of years ago called Rack Builder. And it, you, you went on their website and you built your rack and it was, you know, they helped you with, you know, weight distribution if you didn't know what you're doing with rack, rack, rack weight distribution. Try saying that five times fast. And um, also with, with heat management and things of that nature. Well, now they have something called Rack Build Delivered. And it's taking this idea and, and one step further. And what it does is you still build your rack. But now you can have, uh, when you go at the end of it, you can select to have your rack built by them and delivered to you already populated. There's a couple of different drawbacks. One is the fact that they only have four partners for this so far. Um, for, I guess, for Matt and I, it's great because Crestron's one of them. For, for Greg, who's an X-Tron guy, eh, not so much. <laughs> but... Um, uh, we're trying to you know, we're trying to win him over to the uh, to the dark side, and uh, but you know what? We're, it's we're a, slowly moving that way. <laughs> well, you, you know, you, you know, you're right. You 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 have a an experience center near you, so um, you can go check that yes, out. Yes, we've been there. Um, 
But here's the thing, though, guys. Um, a lot of us do our own racks, and we do it. Why? Matt and I just talked about it because of money. <laughs> all right. Um, there, there's no way around this. There's no way to sugarcoat this. It's because of money. You know what? We're colleges. We don't have a lot of money. We're not, you know, Apple who can spend a billion dollars on AV equipment. We have to cut corners somewhere, and and some of that is, is a lot of times is, you know, we will purchase the product ourselves, and then we'll we'll rack it ourselves. And I think it'll take a lot of, I think it will save a lot of time. I think it'll save a lot of money from manpower and, and man hours time. Uh, I just wish that, that, that they would have a, a you know, little bit more expanded. Um, Matt, we'll start with you. Is, is this something that's interesting to you or is this, you know, yeah, you only got four, four partners here. And so it's not that attractive to me. I mean, it's interesting. Um, One of our challenges right now is all of our racks are integrated into our furniture. Mm. So as much as I like the program, I'm I'm not sure today how I, you know, how I really would see value from it. Uh, But I I think it's great. I mean, it's it's something we're going to actually look into probably not right now with the summer, but into future projects because it's something we've been talking about. Uh, we, We actually talked about talking to our integrator about something similar mm-hmm. where um, we would have them rack it in their shop and we would do you know the final installation because we're, we're starting to price out our staff time versus uh, you know what the real dollar value of having someone else do it so I think it's a very progressive service uh, in an industry which has been very slow to embrace services yeah but we ha- they have to <laughs> And that's yeah. the thing is, no, I agree with you. <laughs> yeah, their their bottom lines are going away. So, um, yeah. go ahead, Greg. Yeah, I, I think you guys are are right on with that. And um, yeah, we build all of our stuff too. In fact, we've we've never really worked with an integrator. We we build all of our stuff in house. And um, yeah, it uh, it would be nice if they had uh, more people that they partnered up with this. But it's a I played with it a bit. It's a it's a really neat program. It gives you a nice visual of the rack. It lets you move things around, lets you save spaces for other equipment that uh, you'll be putting in later. So, you know, hats off for the effort that they put into this. It's a it's a really slick little program. Not something I see personally useful to us, but uh, but uh, yeah, a good effort on their part. I think I think there will be people who find it useful. Let me ask you guys a question because I just thought of this. Is this something that if you did find it useful or if you did have one of the four um, partners that they have partnered with, one of them is is AMX, one is Crestron, one is Savant. Uh, actually, one of them is, is also Surgex because in the in the um, building part, you can put in a Surgex uh, uh, surge protector. If, if, it was, if you used one of them, would it make you more apt to buy a Chief? rack because i i'll tell you this we don't use chief racks um most of my my racks are are lowell i'll be very honest about it because they're they're in my backyard um i'm in st louis and and they're just just south of us here uh i I have used middle atlantic before but that's that's you know it's what for one reason or another i'm not even sure why at this point most of mine are lowell is this something where you would you would be more apt to buy a chief rack that's an that's interesting. You should say that, Tim. I have uh, I have over a hundred Lowell racks. Mo- most of my racks are by Lowell. Um, 
the the thing that I didn't remember initially looking at this, but um, Raxus is now part of the same group as Chief, mm-hmm. and um, and they always made a lot of great stuff and had a f- have have I guess they're I'm I'm not sure whether Raxus is going away or whether they are, you know, still a will will fly that banner, but they they always had a a wonderful line of racks and rack parts, and all of that is now part of part of this uh, chief rubric. And so um, there's a lot of stuff there, but yeah, I'm in the, I'm in the same boat. We we generally for most everything have been using Lowell, so um, yeah, it doesn't really apply to me. Yeah, Matt, would it make be make you more apt to buy a chief rack? It's actually the first time I knew Chief was in the rack business when I saw this announcement. Um, so, you know what? Well, you know the, what? The, that helped then. Yeah, no, they're, 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 hey, they're PR they're, they're people. They're marketing pay- guys shaking their heads yeah, right probably. now. But, hey, at least I paid attention to this announcement. Yeah. Um, you know, we're, yeah. we're a mid-Atlantic shop, you know, um, and it's worked pretty well for us. So, I mean, again, most of the stuff we buy today, it's integrated right into our furniture. Yeah. Uh, so we're more in the market for rack accessories than we actually are for racks. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I would definitely consider this if we end up with a design. Um, like I said, we were already, before this announcement, internally thinking about talking to some of our integrators about having them pre-rack stuff for us in their shops. So it, it would definitely be something, if we pursue that option, that we'd probably price out. All right. Um, Let me ask you guys a question. I have nothing against Kramer. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) Nothing against Kramer. Don't send me emails or or nasty letters. Um, And and what prompted this, the the article um, actually came from Technologies for Worship. And it it was an announcement that Kramer has speakers. That's awesome. Great. Good for Kramer. Awesome. Groovy. Um, And they may or may not be OEM'd. I'm going to say that I don't think that Kramer developed these speakers by themselves. Um, and I said, I don't think so, you know, no, no liable here uh, or slander, but it got me thinking about OEM stuff. We, we don't think on any of this stuff. No, we don't. We just speak. There you um, go. We're safe. Um, and, and a lot of our OEM stuff, and if you don't know what OEM stands for, OEM stands for Original Equipment Manufacturer because, you know, one guy is going to make, let's say, a projector. And then he's going to ship it to somebody else who's going to slap their name on it and then market it to you. And and I, I mentioned projector because actually a lot of the OEM stuff that we have on our campuses are projectors. Um, you know, Physics is, is one company. Sanyo was for a while. So you will have, you know, a Sanyo, which if you do any kind of control programming, and that's how I know this, the same protocols for Sanyos also work for Ickies <laughs> um, because one OEMs for another. And you're going you're gonna, you're gonna to get some of that cross-pollination and stuff like that. Um, is OEM a problem for us? Is that it, Should it be a problem for us? Should we be okay with, you know, one manufacturer making all the guts and just slapping somebody else's name on it, Matt. Is it is it is it okay that uh, stuff's OEM or should we should we expect end to end, you know, development, manufacturing, and service from the same person? I, I think it's a big. It depends. Um, I think if they add value to the pro, uh, product, I remember years ago 
Uh, we bought some Christie projectors, which were actually Sanyo projectors with a Christie bra- badge. But Christie added Ethernet control and a couple things, which you couldn't get from Sanyo. So at that point, yeah, that's not necessarily a bad thing. On the speaker topic, I'm thinking of another major manufacturer, which we've actually shown a whole lot of love to on the show, <laughs> who also decided to come out with their own speakers and slap them. Badge on them. I didn't know AMX had their own speakers. <laughs> yeah. And I evaluated some of them. And the first thing which surprised us all is this company is all about U.S. manufacturing. No, no, don't and tell me. You open up the box and there's a big old made in China speaker on this. And that was just, it got worse from there. And Sometimes I wonder. I mean, I understand everyone wants to get 100% of our business, but I don't know if you need to be in, you know, the soup to nuts market or, you know what, partner with someone. You know, if if you you don't make speakers, but you want to sell speakers, find someone to co-badge with. So at least, you know, you're buying their quality. Yeah. Because to be honest, the speakers I evaluated – I have no idea who was OEMing them. I mean, they could have been Foxconn for all I know. And it was it was just unfortunate because the manufacturer, which I thought was, you know, when I do buy a tremendous amount of product from, this was just not comparable to anything else in their product line. And see, that's, that's unfortunate. And you, you just point out a whole lot that's wrong with that um, from the fact that, yeah, they're they a big – we're talking about Crestron. They're a big – you know, being the USA guys, and and you come across, and and there's their speakers made in China. Um, Greg, is it an issue from you know quality control to perception from the market, um, or is it no big deal because this helps keep some costs down? Well, I don't think we've really seen an issue from the quality end of things. Um, it, it's interesting you should mention that a, a bunch of us here uh, just took a tour of our brand new Crestron Experience Center here in uh, Cyprus, not too far from us, uh, back a few weeks ago. And um, we, we had just finished up getting shown the, you know, we, we love us Crestron official uh, marketing video about how wonderful they are and all of their stuff being made, you know, showing it being made there in New Jersey and everything. And we're, we're getting the tour here of the Experience Center where we're, you know, getting to see and touch all the, all the Crestron stuff. And we come around the corner to this great big wall of speakers inset in the wall, in the ceiling, you know, that oh, they're geez. demoing. And we're all sort of in unison. We, we turn to our guide and it's like, you guys make speakers too? And they're all sort they're both sort of sheepishly, well, actually, no, they come from China. And so I I I think I'm sort of waiting for the for the the A V World expose blowing the cover on how all A V equipment comes from the the same one factory in China, because that's that's almost what I'm starting to suspect in some of the circles with with all of these folks coming out with uh with their own version of absolutely everything. And and I think it can be a little bit of a liability, you know, not to not not to turn this into the Extron Bash show that it was last time, but uh, you know I I think that's one of the areas where where Extron may have sort of be tripping themselves up a bit is they they this last year or two they really seem to be 
focusing on being absolutely everything for everybody. If you didn't use, you know, speakers and mics and everything from, you know, from A to Z in your system, they're sort of like, well, well, well why aren't you using that from us? Yeah. You know, and and I'm wondering that's where where they've sort of why they've sort of lost a bit of their mm. their their cutting edge technology end of things. Um, these coming from Kramer, I I don't know. Yeah, not what I think of when I think of uh, um, Kramer. And you know, again, <laughs> f- fine company seems yes. to make nice equipment. I I I have very little Kramer stuff here, but um, you know, not not for lack of effort from them. Um, Paul, our wonderful local Kramer rep, who calls me regularly, but um, speakers, okay. Do you have a Kramer rep? Yeah. Wow. When you're when you're an important school, you get those. That is true. <laughs> that is, you are UCLA. So, <laughs> speaking of UCLA, <laughs> <laughs> now there is a segue. Now. This comes to us from the New York Times, so it's not like some backwater rag. UCLA apologizes for mistakenly congratulating 894 students on acceptance. Wow, dude. <laughs> now, just for, first of all, Greg did not personally hit the send button, <laughs> so I'm not going to skewer you. Um, but <laughs> my question is... Greg, Greg does actually know somebody who was involved with oh. this thing. Man, are they still employed? Um, you know, and and here I thought you brought me back for a second show because I came across so witty and intellectual well, in that the first too. show. That too. Okay. Don't. <laughs> Great. Don't burst my bubble. <laughs> no, no, that too. Yeah. No, that too. Um, but no, they, this. Yeah, they. This this was a financial aid email that went out to. Uh, primarily admitted students and completely separate from the financial aid information they were sending out, they happened to send out or they happened to add this line at the bottom about congratulating, congratulations on your admission to UCLA. The problem was they then sent that to 894 students on the wait list. Oh, geez. Yeah, and it was a it was a um can i say brain fart sure okay well that that sounds like that's what it was and it doesn't sound like there were any sort of serious repercussions cuz it seems like it more confused a lot of people than anything else and you know confusing students is is not a very difficult thing to do trust us mm-hmm. um the the what you did miss however you know f- full disclosure was the UCLA screw up from two weeks previous where we sent out apparently again financial aid but a different group of financial aid folks from the ones I share a van pool with every day just to you know full disclosure mm-hmm. um, a different group of financial aid folks uh, sent out 7,000 duplicate financial aid checks right before this <gasps> So if you were expecting, you know, $5,000 in your account, all of a sudden Saturday morning, you know, have $10,000 in your account. Um, And so they were uh, working to 
retract and you know get back all of those checks and you know reverse them and stuff like that last i read they were they were working with less than 50 students to uh to resolve the accounting errors wow but yeah that was that was the big one that it actually got a lot less press but that was that was a great big chunk of money and mon- money is kind of a kind of a topic of regular discussion in 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 many of our higher ed circles yeah. so that that attracted a lot of attention i don't know whether um you know i i don't know whether heads will roll so to speak but that one i i would certainly be a lot less surprised yeah wow dude Although when that came out, um, the the pithy line that was going around there when we sent out the duplicate checks was, you know, this was right about the time of that, uh, the the great big mega millions uh, uh, stuff going on there mm-hmm. with the lottery, and and the the tagline a lot of people were using was UCLA, we are so awesome, we have our own lottery. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> All right, guys, uh, real briefly, uh, last and certainly not least, um, there was a. this is a press release. I don't like press releases, but it gets into a conversation. And it's material. And it's material, yeah. So BTX Technologies announced that the company has qualified as an Infocom International Sapphire Certified Audiovisual Solutions Provider for the sixth year in a row. I like BTX, so this is not about BTX. Great company. Great company. Um, Greg, we had a conversation at one of our, our technology managers council meetings a couple of years ago about this very thing of not about BTX, but about the Sapphire, about the certified audiovisual solutions provider thing. And, you know, they got Sapphire. I think there's an emerald. I couldn't tell you the different jewels involved in this. But is this? Do we need this? Is this? Is this fine, or is this just more confusing? And we just need one thing. Well, I guess being an audiovisual service user, it would mean more to me uh, there being a what is it certified audiovisual service provider if I knew any other companies that were, but it, it's, it is this sort of thing where, you know, somebody will send it out in a press release and well, that's the end of it. I mean, it sounds like a neat idea, but I mean, where, where do you publicize? I'm not sure where that is publicized. I'm not really sure exactly what it means. I even, you know, looked briefly at the website and it, it I don't know. It's a little vague. Um, but, you know, BTX, like we said, it's a great company. They make a lot of neat stuff. If you don't get their catalog, it's I recommend it. You should, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I I don't know. I don't know what this means. I'm, I'm generally a, a proponent of uh, the, the industry certifications and the, the sort of stuff that Infocom does. You know, speaking as yet another person with a bunch of letters stuck behind his name. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, I I can't really speak to the effectiveness of this one. I'm sorry, Matthew. Is this is this does it make you want to run out and and you know use the next um the next in, the next uh, integrator that has a sapphire? Oh, I think it speaks about a lot of commitment to the industry and willing to help further our industry. Um, at one point, I think we we talked about requiring 
certified service providers around the last round of this program when I think it was uh, gold, silver, and bronze. And the challenge is I think that that Greg brought up is it's usually tied to how many CTSs or how many CTS INDs you have on staff. And I know they're trying to enhance the program a little bit. I think they're going to actually make some require some sort of performance reporting requirements or adherence to, to ANSI standards as being part of this upcoming. Um, I think it's a good program. I think the program's been challenged a little because I don't know if Infocom publicizes it right, and it's because I think they're pushing it on the the integrators to get it rather than informing us as end users where the value is. Um, I, I, I do like working with certified individuals and, you know, again, coming from a IT background originally, you know, generally, you know, and, and actually I'd say with the CTS, especially how hard the test got after, uh, you, you, they went to the new methodology, you know, there's a certain baseline of knowledge you're going to get when you talk to someone with a CTS or a CTSI or a CTSD. Um, I know one of the things we started putting in our, our specs is we do so much DM product. We now require a DMC uh, E uh, on staff with any integrator we work with. We've That's had smart, yeah. too many bad experiences with that. So I, I think this is a good program. I would like to see it grow. I'd like to see Infocom try to, frankly, sell the value to us as the purchasers a little bit more on it. But right. I, I think... I think yeah. anytime you're you're emphasizing education and certification in an industry, you're doing a good thing. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Agreed. Yeah. Preach into the choir. Preach, brother, preach. All right, guys, that's the last story I have. Um, thank you so much for joining me. Matthew Silverman, he is the project manager, learning space design at George Mason Uni- University. Also with us has been Greg Brown, the media system engineer for classroom technology design and maintenance for UCLA. You need to get a shorter title there, brother. Like I said, I wish I was paid by the word. Thank you, guys. Thank, have enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Uh, my name is Tim uh, Albright. Uh, check out this web, this podcast and more at ravepubs.com forward slash aviation. Ravepubs.com forward slash aviation. Thank you so much for joining us for EdTech. Tech.